0: So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports.
1: I drive, center field, hit the wall! Grand slam! This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam.
0: What was real and what wasn't in 2020? Welcome to a very philosophical edition of Fantasy Baseball today. On Tuesday, November 3rd, Frank Stanfield here. All alone. No Scott White. No Chris Towers. No, Adam Azer. They've all abandoned me. I feel like the John Travolta gif where he's looking around in Pulp Fiction like, where is everybody? I'm all alone. Um, JK, I'm not alone. But none of those usual suspects are here today. Scott is an Iron Man. I don't think he missed a single podcast throughout the season, so I hope he's enjoying his week off, which brings us to our special guest. Obviously, today is a very special day, one that will change the course of history. I knew I needed somebody to match the magnitude of this day. So I dove deep into the depths of Fantasy Baseball Twitter and found just the man, the host of the Bases Loaded podcast, contributor at RotoBaller, a.k.a. Sleepy K, which we're going to get into. I don't know what this is all about. It is Mike Curlin. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore
1: Curlin, K-U-R-L-A-N-D. What's going on, man? Dude, that intro, I got to give it to you, man. From <laughs> one host to another, there's a reason why you're doing the big time gig and I'm, I'm over here with the startup. No, uh, man. But stop. I, <laughs> you said, "Dude, that intro was awesome. I appreciate it, and I'm I'm happy to be here, man. I mentioned it a little bit off air. And I'll be honest about that. This is like one of those big time moments for me. Like I I couldn't I can't thank you enough for having me, man. This is awesome. Yeah,
0: we did talk about that a little bit before <laughs> the show, and uh, I mean, let's just be honest with our listeners and our viewers a little bit here. It was a surreal moment for me joining the podcast as the host here, and I appreciate everyone that has reached out throughout the season and after the season, uh, and that has enjoyed fantasy baseball today. With me as the host, obviously, Adam has done a fantastic job for the past decade or so, and everyone has that's contributed. Scott White, obviously, and, and Chris Towers, and anyone else who's come along with Nando DeFino and Al Melchior as well. But, I mean, this was really a surreal gig for me to land because I grew up listening to this podcast. This was like the first fantasy baseball podcast that I ever listened to. And it started, I started listening back in like 2010 when I was going to college and stuff. So, uh, it is surreal. And we spoke about that before the podcast. So look, that's just one of the, I assume many things that we share, uh, that we basically grew up listening to the podcast and look at us, look
1: at us, Mike. Now we're here. (laughs) We're Here. here. Ma, I made it. That's a song, right? There's a song reference. Ah, there you go. You made it, Adam, man. Adam's not here, though. Adam speaks, he would have he sang it for us. <laughs>
0: He probably would have. Uh, he's more of the singer than I am for sure. Mm. Uh, so I, I, don't, I don't dabble too much into the singing. But today on the show, we do have some news to catch you up on. Options that were declined and players who were extended the qualifying offer, which is $18.9 million for the 2021 season. Try and figure out what was real and what wasn't for the abbreviated 2020 season. No, it's not just a bit. This isn't an actual philosophical episode of FBT. Uh, we're going to look at some players who struggled mightily this season. What was, you know... Are we actually worried about any of these guys? I mean, a lot of these guys uh, we've seen perform in the past, so uh, we'll talk about some of those players, and then we have a few of your questions to la- answer later on in the show before we do all of that. Mike, are you a big Halloween guy? We just passed Halloween weekend, and it seems like everybody who I've had on, we had on Nick Pollock last week and Scott, not a big Halloween guy. Are you a big Halloween guy? I, I need somebody. Help me out here.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to be that guy for you. <laughs> my wife my wife is a huge Halloween person. My kids love – I have kids. I have three. So, of course, we celebrate it. We do it upright for them. But I'm not the one that gets dressed up. I'm the one holding the sacks of candy. And But this year, I worked. So this year, I wasn't even there for it. I was on shift. For those okay. who don't know, I'm sorry. Like oh, I'm on shift because I'm a firefighter paramedic full-time. And then this is like a second job slash pretty much like a full-time job feels like sometimes. But, yeah. So I was on shift that night and got a call that was Halloween-like. But I won't go into that. That's a whole other discussion.
0: Yeah, right. Uh, Why did they call you Sleepy K? I noticed this in your Twitter description, and I honestly don't know the story behind it.
1: All right. um, This started, I I got the nickname, I think, just before that little, I guess, that league that never really took off that you and I kind of really started talking more through. And um, long story short, I fell asleep podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is crazy to think, because anybody who knows me, and for those who might be obviously new listeners and never hearing me before, I talk a lot. I'm really good at talking. Um, I don't, I, but here, this was before I was doing video podcasts and like all the other stuff that's kind of evolved over the last year or so in the fantasy baseball side of things. And it was one of my, it wasn't like a, I didn't have a special guest host. I wasn't doing a guest spot. I was hosting with one of my uh, good friends, George. He's one, he's one of the co-hosts on the Loaded Podcast. And it's, like, I'll paint the picture. It's like 1, 1.30 in the morning, Eastern time. And he's West Coast, so I always do I, I stay up late with him. And we were talking about JP Crawford. I won't forget it because it bored me. We were talking about JP Crawford at like 1:30 in the morning on a podcast. And I just fell asleep on him. There was again there was no video. And I used to podcast on my couch before I set up my have my little setup in this corner here. So one thing led to another. I leaned back into my couch chair and my mic was on a arm so I moved it back with me one thing led to another and I'm like sleeping for like 15 20 seconds woke myself up because I realized he stopped talking like so I caught on it and <laughs> yeah he put it out there and then Ralph Lipschitz I was in a, a podcast league with him um like a redraft league and he Loves his 90s rap, I guess. And he called me Sleepy K because it, like, he thought it was like a cool rap name, like a 90s rap name. And I just kind of ran with it, man. I mean, there's I've been called way worse. I'm sure all of us have been called way worse in our lives. So this was like, I'm like, cool, I'll take a nickname. And, and it actually does have fantasy appeal because you can you you can play off the word sleepy and all that. So, but yeah, I kept it in the strip because I fell asleep on the podcast. I, that
0: is, as somebody who knows what it's like to podcast at one o'clock in the morning, as Scott and I did throughout the regular season, I understand like, dude, some late nights that you have to deal with for sure. So Scott's usually drinking his sodas. And if you listen to the podcast throughout the season, you know, we get late night Scott White sometimes and it gets a little (laughs) wacky here on the show. Uh, But yeah, dude, I can, I can definitely... Uh, you know, appreciate that. I know what you're talking about when it comes yeah. to uh, podcasting pretty late. All right, let's get into some of these news and notes, things that are happening around the league. We haven't talked about this in a while. We did some of our early position previews for the 2021 season. You can go back and listen to those on demand. These players had their options declined and are now free agents. And for what it's worth, in my opinion, I think we're in for a very slow moving offseason, which of course comes to no surprise. Buckle up, there are a ton of names here, and we'll talk a little bit more about a few of them in depth. Corey Kluber, Colton Wong, Charlie Morton, Howie Kendrick, Adam Eaton, Eric, Eric Thames, Jay Happ, Brett Gardner, Ryan Braun, Brennan Kinsler, Wilson Ramos, Mitch Moreland, Chris Archer, John Lester, Roberto Osuna, Carlos Santana, Edwin Encarnacion, Sergio Romo, and perhaps the most surprising of all, Brad Hand, who just led baseball with 16 saves. So I understand there were a lot of names to remember there. Write them down, go back, listen 20 seconds ago, write them all down, see what happened. Uh, But I just want to mention Brad Hand. I mean, from the get-go here, Mike, it was a bounce-back season for Hand, a 205 ERA, 0.77 whip, but eh, buyer beware a little bit for no matter where he lands or if you plan on drafting him as a closer in fantasy Fastball velocity went from 92.7 miles per hour in 2019 to 91.4 miles per hour in 2020. Swinging strike rate went from 13% to 10.5% in 2020, and it had a 57% fly ball rate. Again, this was all Brad Hand. So on the surface, numbers look pretty good. Okay, you dig a little bit deeper. Doesn't look so good for Brad Hand, Mike
1: exactly and i was i was kind of fading him i i was wrong on brad hand in 2020 i want to be very clear because i was fading him on the off chance of this kind of happening last year as in maybe not being cut but i expect him to be traded so i'm surprised they didn't pick up the option to try to move him but i guess they they, didn't it's so weird man they they've had this team that's like somewhat competitive and could have been had they spent they keep crying poor making sure tra- i have such a hard time with the indians understanding what they're doing but yeah you mentioned i think the biggest thing for me really is that drop in uh, that drop in velo and that is always something to be concerned about especially with a relief pitcher where a lot you see a lot of these guys probably increase their velocity knowing that they didn't have to throw as much this year as a whole so that's something to be to be aware of and then of course you mentioned the fly ball rate increasing where does he land and does he get a job Do, you you think it's gonna be slow? I'm kind of torn because we saw it kind of come quick and fast last year, and I'm wondering how much these players have in mind that 2022 potential lockout coming because you know I hate to bring that up because it's you know it's doom and gloom as it is with 2021 kind of we assume it's gonna be a full year but we're not sure yet because coronavirus it's spiking again but again a whole other discussion. We don't really know what's going to happen in 2022. Do players just say, you know what? Give me two years. Give me, give me one guaranteed year. Like you have like a lot of these guys are older too, so a lot of these guys might just take a one-year deal and retire. Uh, Charlie Morton being like the big name here on this list, he's a guy that's just another one that stands out. As I'm surprised the Rays didn't just take him back because he's willing to pitch one more year, and I think it was a pretty team-friendly contract. But he should probably get signed for a pretty solid, uh, you know, pretty favorable deal. But he's a guy that I think he signs faster because. I think it's known it's more of a year-to-year thing with him At, at and he, that next year might be his last anyway. So someone like him but versus Colton Wong is still, I think, entering his age 30 season, so might he might want a longer deal. So he might sit out long. So you kind of have to play that guessing game, and it's unfortunate. But I, I know I jumped around from like one guy to another, but hand again, just I got to see where he lands. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely avoiding him in any early draft until we figure out where he's going.
0: Yeah, and I have a Yankees group, chat. Everyone knows by now I am a Yankee fan, and these guys are saying, like, let's go get Brad Hand. Would I guess it would be all right for the Yankees, but it, I mean, it would be terrible for his fantasy value. So I don't think many people are drafting this time of year, and we'll have a lot of time to figure things out once he signs somewhere. Uh, but my guess is he's not going to be back in Cleveland. So, uh, Mike, your early hunch, who closes in Cleveland? Is it Wild thing, James Karinchak, is that where we're going? I tweeted that out last week, and some some people responded, uh, Emmanuel Class A, he's going to get his opportunity, who is the prospect that they got in return uh, in the Corey Kluber trade, of course. So uh, Class A, someone who throws extremely hard, missed all of the 2020 season due to a suspension, and he was hurt before that anyway, dealing with a back and uh, a lat injury as well. So your early hunch here on November 3rd, 2020, Karinchak or Class A?
1: I'm gonna have to go with Karen Chak. And we saw him get utilized in pretty like high-leverage situations as it was last year. Uh, I am trying to find his hold numbers. I think he had yeah, he had eight holds last year. So unfortunately, I came with three bone saves, but he had eight holds showing a willingness to put him in those high-leverage situations. And that's what I'm banking on, with again nothing else being known as of right now. Class A, not saying he can't get it. I'm just – he hasn't done it, and he hasn't done it for this team. He hasn't even pitched for this team. like So <laughs> I want to see him be healthy. I want to see him be even given an opportunity to pitch in these situations, whereas we've seen Cringe hack at least be given opportunities to pitch in said situations. So that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, uh, Karen check a 17.7K mm-hmm. per nine this season, but 5.3 walks per nine. Like, he is absolutely filthy. You watch him pitch, 2.67 yeah. ERA, 1.11 whip. All the underlying numbers are all right there with him as well. A 16.9% swinging strike rate. That was 53 strikeouts in 27 innings pitched, uh, but also did so <laughs> with 16 walks. So, a little bit wild at times. He's got the whole wild thing going on in Cleveland. Uh, I, I, my early lean is that he will probably be the closer as well for Cleveland. And you know, if he is, he has the opportunity to be top five at the position. I don't, I don't think that that is crazy. He really just has to work on getting those uh, walks down again. That is James Karinczak. A few more names here. Uh, Roberto Osuna was expected to miss most of the 2021 season anyway, so that doesn't really come as a surprise. Uh, I assume Ryan Presley will be the, the man again next season for the Houston Astros. Mike, do you think Corey Kluber has anything left? His early ADP in these two early mock drafts set up by Justin Mason was like 250, so, I mean, that is extremely late. It's probably going to correct itself a little bit, but the name pops out, Corey Kluber. I mean, that's, that's pretty damn late. Any interest... It-
1: is Corey? Are we sure Corey Kluber's better than Mad Bum at this point, though? Like, <laughs> we're not. I can't tell you. Well, that's the problem, and that's that's where the issue is. Is I think he still is because I think he has better stuff still, but we haven't really seen him pitch since like twenty what eighteen. So like part of 2019, I, I know, but like uh, like, and then you look at who's around him, and I guess as long as long as the price is there, I'm good with it because I was looking at these like you said the early mocks. I was looking at the ADP, and Justice Sheffield is criminally overlooked so he's like one name jameson tyone i think i know he has a team he should be healthy i'm willing to take a shot on him but then it gets to a lot of murkier guys like michael kopech we know he has a team but he didn't pitch last year how much did he really keep up with his conditioning how many innings are we gonna see from thor coming off you know injury etc so he's in that he's in that right area to take a shot but we just don't know where he signs if he signs you gotta think he gets a one-year deal probably but a lot of, there's a lot to be determined with him. As of right now, the price is good though. It's a long way of me saying the price is good where he's at.
0: Jameson Tyone, a name that you bring up there, and I'm just
1: I'm That's getting
0: slider. I'm getting giddy about Jameson Tyone and he will be I think he so he had Tommy John in twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. I believe it was in either July or August. So yeah. he will have been removed from Tommy John for like twenty one or twenty two months by the oh, time. He's healthy. By the time spring train, Like, he was already throwing bullpens back in September. So, Jameson Tyone should be good. I don't, I don't know what the innings look like, and we'll talk about it a little bit, um, but I don't, I don't know what the innings look like for any pitcher next year. So, I mean, if you're going to get Jameson Tyone super late, I say, okay, just take the shot on talent and, and hope that uh, hope that he's not on any type of crazy restriction. But uh, a name that just very early on, I'm, I'm paying attention to and getting excited about. No, no Edwin Encarnacion for the Chicago White Sox, which means we could see... Their top prospect Andrew Vaughn probably not at the start of the season, but sooner rather than later, I, I think the White Sox all along knowing when they drafted him that they expect him to uh, contribute in the you know in the short term and obviously in the long term as well. But like a lot to like with Andrew Vaughn and Anthony Rizzo, a Paul Goldschmidt type hitting prospect at first base for the White Sox. He'll either play first base or DH for them when he gets the call, but. Really good plate discipline. Hits a lot of line drives. You know, I think in his prime could be a 280-plus hitter, 30 home runs. Again, this is Andrew Vaughn, so I don't know when we'll see him, but this could open up the path for him sooner rather than later with no Edwin Encarnacion. The players that are remaining on their teams because of options that were either picked up by themselves or by the teams that they're on, Nick Castellanos will remain with the Cincinnati Reds, Rizzo with the Cubs, Giancarlo Stanton. Grr. Oh, wait, I have this. Giancarlo, non si puo sto Whatever that means. And Zach <laughs> Britton will remain with the Yankees. Uh, J.D. Martinez is with the Red Sox still. And Starling Marte, you mentioned, uh, had his $12.5 million option picked up by the Miami Marlins. This group received the qualifying offer, which, of course, is a one-year $18.9 million uh, deal. Trevor Bauer, George Springer, DJ LeMayhew, JT Realmuto, Marcus Stroman, and Kevin Gosman. Great job by Kevin Gosman, like rebuilding his value. And most people will look at this, Mike, and say, oh, well, it's a no brainer. Gosman's going to take this, this qualifying offer. I think there's a chance that he can actually get a multi year deal where. I mean, if he wants to set himself up financially, like with some security for a while, now might be the best time to do it. Coming off a of season 3.62 ERA, 1.11 whip, 79 strikeouts in 59 and two-thirds innings pitched. If he qualified, his 15.2% swinging strike rate would have ranked 7th among starting pitchers, just ahead of you, Darvish, Max Scherzer, and Danelson LeMet. It's pretty damn good company for Kevin Gosman, Mike.
1: Yeah, and I'm so torn on this because we know he has the two pitches the you know and splitter being the kind of the pitch that brought him out of the woodworks last year even i think it was 2019 came out of like relief and showed those that potential the strikeout rate increasing and all that and then brought it into this year and really showed us that he could still do it and he's like the perfect analytics type of guy he can go five innings strong it seems like i feel like you know pushing six innings without that third pitch is iffy but he like you said it was a great job to get this offer and i don't know because a multi-year deal would he even get this much. That's where I'm at. Like, I think I think if he was a free agent, this would have been like a two-year, 18.9 million dollar offer to him. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he would have gotten this on one-year deal. So, I think this was smart by the Giants, though, because I have yet, I, you know, I've I've learned to not question how they run their team. And I think their thinking is either they're going to compete because you know they seem to always somehow compete and be scrappy. But if not, they're willing to eat some money knowing that they'll probably be able to flip them for some prospects. Right. Yep. And that's the right thing to do. eat some eat some of that cash because they're a lower team on the payroll anyway if, I, if I'm I mean I can't envision much money being on the books next year. so uh, that's I think it was a smart move. I, everyone's saying good job Gosman, but I think it was a really good play by the Giants.
0: Yeah, no, that is a fair point as well. Marcus Stroman, I mentioned, uh, he might actually take this qualifying offer and try and reestablish some of his value. I believe this is his age 30 season, so he can go back into free agency at 31 years old, which isn't terrible. Get a multi-year deal. We'll see what happens with Marcus Stroman as well. We had a few managers hired. 76-year-old Tony Larusa, this is interesting to say the least, joins the Chicago White Sox, and A.J. Hinch, you might have heard of the fella, is headed to the Detroit Tigers, Say what you want about the cheating scandal, but he did help the Houston Astros turn things around and obviously has a stable of young pitchers with the Tigers. Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal and Matt Manning is coming. And, of course, they have Spencer Torkelson. So it's it's not a terrible job to have right now, the Detroit Tigers. It's somewhat interesting, actually. So A.J. Hintz is, is headed there, and the Reds the Red Sox job remains Vacant. All right, so what was real and what wasn't in the 2020 season? This basically, a 28 minute introduction to the show. So, there you go. Uh, I wrote an article about it recently on cbsports.com. And my first and main point is that we have had really good players in the past have two month slumps. And the most recent examples, you just look at 2019 in the first 60 games of the season, Jose Ramirez had a 617 OPS, Yu Darvish had a 5.02 ERA. In the final 60 games of the season in 2019, Manny Machado had a 687 OPS, and Luis Castillo had a 5.08 ERA. So just imagine if we had to draft for 2020 knowing only those things about those players. If we knew, okay, Jose Ramirez had a sub-700 OPS, same thing as Manny Machado, you would have got those players at extreme discounts heading into the 2020 season, and that's basically what we're dealing with heading into the 2021 season with players who I kind of think are known commodities at this point. So let's talk about a few of these guys. Don't want to spend too much time on this player, but Christian Yelich, my my concern here, Mike, is just the lineup that he's in and that he does not have a lot of protection. Maybe Lorenzo Cain being back in the lineup, he's not going to offer protection, but at the top of the lineup, you know, someone that, okay... He has legitimate on-base skills, and, you know, that can help someone like Yelich. But we'll talk about Hira in a little bit. Worried that, like, outside of that, like, there's not a lot in the Brewers lineup. A career-high near 31% strikeout rate for Yelich. He was way less aggressive than ever before. He had a 671 OPS against right-handed pitching, which is just super weird. That's 895 for his career. Do you have any concern over Christian Yelich, Mike?
1: Other than, like you mentioned, I think the big concern is to see how the Brewers attack this offseason, see if they can get some, just some supporting cast, even like respectable names. Like at least he had Mustakis in 2019. And I'm trying to remember, and then like you mentioned Kane was there as well. So he had some cushion, but even with the spike in strikeout rate, right, which again, you're talking about a guy who's what struck out more than 20% of the time once since 2013, so I don't buy that this is who he is, the strikeout rate-wise. I think there's a lot of passivity there. Like you mentioned, the uh, the walk rate being a crazy career high. But even with that, the Babbitt was also career low, and he still managed to be an above-average player with a WRC-plus of 112. So, so he, he gave you, the, and he gave you the, the four steals, the 12 home runs. He gave you that threat. And I think there's nothing but up with the batting average. So, yes, there's reason to be a little concerned. But he's still first rounder for me. And I know his ADP and you actually have it here, roughly 11th. You give me a back end of the first round pick, I'm taking him 10 times out of 10. I'm not concerned. I think the health is there. And he, what if he's another guy that I'm, I I swear I've heard of it. I've heard of it, maybe not, that he was one of those that actually watched tape in game and he didn't have the access to that tape. I know JD Martinez mentioned that a lot, like not yeah. having a lot of his in game stuff. So maybe he's one of those players that just everything was thrown off. You just there's a lot of that. Players saw pitchers they never saw before. Hitters, uh, pitchers saw hitters they never saw before. Ups and downs because of that, because of the schedule and the division. So I'm willing to let that be a pass, and I'm gonna you look at this as a uh, as a value pick.
0: And I, I do think there is some upside for the lineup to turn around. Like if Luis Arias gets a full season with the Brewers, you know, once a to top prospect, I think obviously. That can help their team. I'm looking at Evisa Garcia right now to see if he is still... He is signed with the team throughout 2021. So he's another name where if he can bounce back, I mean, that can offer a little bit of protection. They have some guys that can be better here in this Brewers lineup. So uh, that's the only thing that I'm worried about. But I think once upon a time, we said that about Freddie Freeman a couple years ago when the the Braves were going through a rebuild. We're a little bit worried. All right, what's going to happen with Freddie Freeman? He was still awesome. I had that slight concern over Juan Soto heading into this season. No concern there. That wasn't an issue either. So maybe I'm just making something out of nothing. I've I, I got to read more about Yelich in the offseason and see what the Brewers do here. But just pay attention. I, I, I gotta, I'm got just ever so slightly worried about Christian Yelich. Another name, Glaber Torres. I, this is a very interesting one. He hit 243 in 2020. Three homers, 17 runs, 16 RBI, one steal in forty two games. He dealt with quad and I believe it was hamstring injuries for a decent portion of the season. He was playing through those injuries. So it could be as simple as that. And, you know, in his age twenty one season and eight twenty OPS, in his age twenty two season and eight seventy one OPS. And then this year, uh seven twenty four. So it was all over the place uh this season. Mike, what are you thinking about Glaber Torres? His early ADP is at sixty three point nine, where you know, last year he was a top thirty pick, so we could have a potential profit situation here with Glaber Torres.
1: Yeah, I love, first off, I'm huge on like people who show this type of plate, uh, plate discipline. So I love seeing that, but again, I don't like, but this is one of, the, one of those situations I don't like seeing it because I think it's one of those that affected him negatively. And we did see him, you know, he struck out a little more in the playoffs. He still walked a ton, but he showed a little more pop and he actually stole a couple of bases. So maybe he came back around for the playoffs, maybe started figuring things out. Also the lineup was healthier back in the, you know, by the playoffs, the time the playoffs came around. So, we I'm if LeMahieu doesn't return, which I don't see why the Yankees wouldn't play pay Lemehu but if he doesn't, maybe Torres finds his way back up the lineup as well. So there's some there's optimism there. I I also I also think he was never gonna re- repeat what he did in 2019, but I don't think he was this bad either. So I think there's a happy medium. I think at his price it makes sense, but he only pl- he played 40 games at shortstop, none at second. So I don't think he has 2nd base eligibility in most formats entering next year. So the price is surprising because Although I think he's better than a Korea type or Korea as a whole, I don't think he's sixty picks better than Kray at this point. Like because I think the skill sets are so similar that again it goes back to I'm actually very similar to you. I'm looking for I'm looking for discounts. I'm looking for uh, potential uh, return on investment. And I think Korea is a similar enough product here or a potential product that. But, that, again, it doesn't warrant a 60-pick difference. So the price still might be a little – I haven't quite gotten there in my ranks either yet, so I'm not sure how I feel about that middle area. I can understand Torres' appeal there, but is it because he's still a flashier name than Craya? That's kind of where I'm at. Like I'm looking at their skill sets. I'm not seeing much difference, although I do agree Torres has a higher ceiling. I just don't know if the floor or the media, or the mean outcome is all that different.
0: Yeah, and Glaber is like he's younger than Correa for sure. So, I think people still kind of see that upside like Glaber hasn't mm-hmm. reached his ceiling. I think you're paying a bit of a Yankee tax here. Dansby Swanson in this early ADP yeah. is going 40 picks later and I mean I like Dansby Swanson a lot. You could argue the Braves lineup is just as good as the Yankees, if not better. Um, we'll see what that happens with Marcelo Zuna, but a little bit of pop, a little bit of speed from Dansby Swanson as well, and, and going 40 picks later than Glaber Torres. Uh, you mentioned what he changed in terms of his plate discipline this season, and it, it was really weird because he walked a career-high 13.8% and struck out a career-best 17.5%, but like he was way less aggressive than he usually is. His chase rate was down 10%, uh, his swing percentage was down 10%, so we have to get the aggressive Glaber Torres back, like yes, we like plate discipline, but to an extent, do not change the player you are, especially when the player you were, Glaber, was very successful, so if that makes sense, like, just go back to being who you were, Glaber Torres, and I think you can, I think you get back to being like a 270 hitter with 30 home runs, You know, five to ten steals in a a really good Yankee lineup. So um, we'll see what happens uh, with uh, Gleyber Torres as well. He's like in this no-man's land in terms of ADP. He's 15 picks after Tim Anderson. He's 17 picks before Javier Baez. Uh, And and I wanted to kind of transition here into Javier Baez, somebody who, Mike, is very frustrating for me because for years I was off of Javier Baez, and I said there's no way he can continue to produce this way with this – Lack of plate discipline and swinging and missing this much and, and walking this little. Last year was the year I finally bought into Javier Baez and I had him everywhere, Mike. And he went on to hit 203 with a sub 600 OPS. So he was just, but it was a nightmare season. I, I like this was literally like one of the lowest percentile outcomes for Javier Baez on, on the, you know, terrible end. So I, I just can't imagine him being this bad again.
1: My thing about Baez is that, and I've always been with you actually, and I, I honestly skipped on him this year as well. And I got again, I got lucky on this one because I've been wrong for so long. But he's the type of guy that I told you plate discipline is kind of a thing. I really look at, and he's always been somebody I've been like fading. But what's what's always been a reason why he's always been able to outproduce some of it was you know the re, his sprint speed, his like he always had a plus speed tool, which he still does. But his sprint speed almost fell off a full uh, foot per second, like from 28.6 in 2019 to 27.9 feet per second. So Javi Baez kind of lost his step, so so to speak. And he also suddenly tried pulling the ball more. I think he was just maybe pushing a little too hard, but then it, but it's weird because he actually wasn't as aggressive as he usually is. His O swing dropped foot three and a half percent, roughly. His swing, but so he's chased less. And just, all right, he swung less, but then he had more swing and miss in his game because the swing strike rate went up. So he wasn't as aggressive. But then he swung and missed more. So that's just a terrible combination. And then his first pitch swing percentage, which is something that people I I've, I've come to look at a lot more because I, I mean you see it's 48.2%, 46.5%. And then last year he dropped to 39.1%. So he wasn't even jumping on the first pitch strikes or first pitches as, as a whole. Maybe players or maybe pitchers have adapted to stop throwing him strikes so much, so much, so so early on. So there is something going on there. You gotta see how he adapts. I think a, I think a full offseason can really help this whole Cubs team. And then, I mean, if you want a little bit of optimism, look how well, look how much he underperformed against, you know, off-speed. He had a batting average of 181 with an XBA of 315 against off-speed. I mean, the breaking pitches, and he overproduced against fastballs a little bit, so maybe there's some, you know, give and take there. But overall, the discount's there, and I think I want to – I'm going to get a few shares of him in terms of, you know, I'm going to make sure I roster him on a few teams. Just on the off – I mean, I don't know. I have a hard time fading him. He's 27 years old. I don't think he's done by any means yet. So – I'll take the discount on a couple teams, but man, do some of the stuff just scare you for sure. And, and that's the gist of all of
0: this: is that for the players that I've talked about thus far, Yelich, Glaber, to an extent, and Javier Baez, like we have a track record of all of those players being very successful. So, to an extent, I am willing to give these players passes because it was just an abbreviated sixty-game season. Uh, for for Baez, you don't go from an eight eighty-one OPS to eight forty-seven to five ninety-nine. Like that doesn't just You know, you don't just fall off that fast, even with the plate discipline that he has. So, uh, yes, it was a letdown. Uh, He was incredibly unlucky in terms of his BABIP, a 262 BABIP in 2020. That's 333 for his career. So his early ADP is 81.2. That puts him in the seventh round. This was a guy that was consistently going in the third, fourth round the past couple of seasons. So there could be a buying opportunity for Javier Baez as well. Like someone who I'm going to be in on, and there is no like real statistical basis for me to lean on here. It's just a player that I trust the talent, and that is Austin Meadows, who will be 25 years old at the start of the 2021 season. Think of this timeline for Austin Meadows. He missed the first couple of weeks of the season with COVID, and then once he returned, he was dealing with an oblique strain, which shut him down in September. So, I mean, you put all those things together... And yes, his strikeouts went up and his batter ball data was all over the place. Like he hit way too many fly balls this year. But I'm kind of just giving Austin Meadows a pass. Again, 25 years old and in his last 162 games has hit 269 with 33 home runs and 12 steals. So I am,
1: I will be back in on Austin Meadows next year. That's just the point of this conversation. And I'm going to give him a shot as well. Again, I'm not somebody I'm going to, Maybe actively pursue because of the Rays or the Rays, and now with Rania's ascension, do they find more reasons to kind of platoon Meadows until he gets his stuff together? I think a lot of it was the COVID slash injuries, though. And the big thing that kind of made me look into him a little bit was there was again a small change in his stance. He was a little more upright, and then you look at the launch angle; it spiked almost eight degrees. And with it, just comes so much like a change in the production you saw. The barrel rate decrease. You saw him get under the ball more, and that makes sense because if you increase your launch angle, you're gonna probably pop up the ball more. His pop up rate jumped three percent. The under percent, the under percentage, which is again just another measure of getting under the ball, fifteen percent uh, increase. That's that's huge, and that explains a, that could explain a lot of his pro- troubles. I think, and you, if you look at his launch average launch angles over the first two years, thirteen point seven percent and uh, sorry, thirteen point seven degrees and sixteen point seven degrees. That's where I would expect him to revert to, and with it should come the better quality of, um, of the at-bats of the as well, with the sweet, pot, sweet spot percentage correcting, the barrel rate probably correcting along with it. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm willing to give him a pass with all that going on in this crazy year. And then the Rays messing with playing time and all the other stuff in the playoffs, it's hard to really judge Meadows fully.
0: Yeah, and he was sitting against lefties in the postseason, which I didn't really understand completely because he's actually been adequate against lefties in his career. Seven ninety eight OPS against lefties, eight seventy eight against righties. So, I mean, that's look. Normally, if you are seven fifty or better as a left-handed batter, I I consider that a win, and and that's where Austin Meadows um, has been at. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, Mike is going to tell you why you should be buying back in on Cattell Marte. Maybe why we should give him a pass this season. Just want to remind everyone that all of our Fantasy Baseball Today podcasts are also on YouTube. So if you want to see what Sleepy K and all of our other guests look like, that's youtube.com slash Today, And be sure to join our Facebook group as well, where our listeners are posting their off-season questions. They talk about keepers, dynasty value. Plus, it's a way to find other serious leagues, if that is what you are looking for. The link is for that is facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. And you can find both the YouTube and Facebook links in our episode description. We'll take a break. When we come back, Cattell Marte here, fantasy baseball today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American express business gold card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U S restaurants and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com business gold card. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Katel Marte will be just 27 years old when the 2021 season starts and has just second base eligibility at this point. I asked Mike before the podcast, do you have anyone you want to talk about? Any players that you feel passionate about? Guys that you think might be able to bounce back? And he said, Cattel Marte. So now is your opportunity, Mike, to tell us why you like a gentleman who just hit for two home runs in 45 games in the 2020 season.
1: Okay. <laughs> this is where I get to defend my love for Cattell because I know the numbers aren't in his favor and everyone's going to look at 2019 being the big juice ball year, which it was. But there was a lot more that went into it as well. You know, he was more of a pull ball hitter. He increased the launch angle. There was a lot of stuff that went with him. And, again, he has such a good hit tool, being that he's a guy that never strikes out. He usually walks better. He walked really bad, like, for a low amount this year. But just a guy that really put emphasis on getting the ball in the air more, and it worked for him. And this year, the average launch angle was still at 10 degrees. So it wasn't a launch angle issue. So then, Mike, what happened? I think it was just that wrist. I think because he was dealing with left wrist inflammation. I think he was playing through it. He eventually went out and got, you know, got rested or got some rest and all that. But you try to be a switch hitter with wrist issues. Look at Ozzy Albies. He struggled mightily. I think he had a wrist issue as well. Went out, came back, and tore up the ball for the remainder of his time during that season. That's why he's not really being affected in drafts. I think Marte would have corrected, you know, would have righted the ship had he had a chance to. And it's just another guy I'm willing to chalk up to injury being a big issue. And if people are worried about the power production, I'm, I was I was really clear when I was big on him coming into the uh, into 2020, I never thought he'd be a 30 home run hitter again. I always pegged him around 25 home runs. And if, and we've come to learn, and I know there was a good article by, um, I'm, I can't, I'm thinking of his, uh, of his uh, Twitter handle right now. For some reason, uh, Dolph Hall. Oh, oh man. It's control- Alex oh, Chamberlain. Alex Chamberlain. Yep. Yes. Yeah, see, he has that He has that handle. It's hard to pronounce. <laughs> but Alex Chamberlain just came out talking about how max exit velocity is a really good early indicator of power. And if you go look at Quetel Marte, not just qualified hitters, of all hitters, of all hits in 2020, he had the 8th hardest hit ball in in terms of max exit velocity during the regular season i believe there was a couple home runs in the offseason that would have pushed him to 10th either way if you count those he's he was still a top 10 hit in all of the regular season and postseason in terms of max exit velocity so that's an indication that the power is still there granted it wasn't a home run it does not matter it's the fact that he hit a ball that hard and that's the same reason why people still love vlad because even though vlad hits a ton of ground balls which can doesn't hit a ton of ground balls but he has a plus speed tool to actually if that does, he won't affect his batting average. But that's just, it's just a reminder that the power might not have showed in the bottom line, but it was still there. And I think the wrist injury was a big reason why he wasn't able to get the quality of contact on the ball, maybe. And it kind of threw off everything. So I don't think he was as good as 2020 showed, but I think he's better than what... I'm oh, Sorry, I know he wasn't as good as 2019 showed, but I don't think he's as bad as 2020 showed either. There's a happy medium there. Kind of similar to Gleyber Torres.
0: Yeah, and I don't want to just give you a a cop-out projection of, okay, well, you know, we'll combine what he did in 2019 and what he did in 2020, and we'll project that over 150 games, but I don't think that he's going to maintain a home run to fly ball ratio of 19%, which he had in 2019, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's going to be 3.8% either, like it was in 2020, so if we can get a 300 batting average with 20 to 22 home runs with solid counting stats, home uh, runs and RBIs, like, yes, Cattell Marte can pay off a, a an early ADP of 78, which is in the seventh round.
1: But I mean, and, and second base, because yeah, second base second being kind is kind so of bad. a bad position.
0: The one that it's going to be interesting to me, and I, I have them ranked back-to-back right now, and I have Jose Altuve one spot higher, is Altuve versus Cattell Marte. Because Altuve just, he did not have a good regular season, but in the postseason, he just clicked. And, and that was against some of the best pitching in baseball. So Altuve versus Marte is, is I think, a conversation a lot of people will have in the offseason, and I I think that it is warranted. Um, A few other names that I actually wrote about, and you can go check them out again on CBSSports.com, is uh, Chris Paddock, who we're not going to get to here, and and Frankie Montas. So if you want to read about why I am giving those guys a pass for the 2020 season, you can find that at CBSSports.com. A few names that I'm worried about. I'm not going to overreact too much over what they did in 2020, but I I think that there was enough there where I, I, I have... I have legitimate concerns over Kesson Hira, Chris Bryant, and Patrick Corbin, the three names that I'll just mention here quickly. Hira is still extremely young. He'll be 24 years old when the 2021 season starts. And I I, I still think he's loaded with potential, but the strikeouts, a 34.6% strikeout rate, fifth highest among qualified hitters in 2020, a 20% swinging strike rate was second behind only Luis Robert. Uh, He... Heara led the national league with 85 strikeouts in 59 in just 59 games. So strikeouts are an issue. The Babbitt cratered from uh, compared to 2019. Worry about those things. Uh, you know, his quality of contact went down. Chris Bryant, just a ton of injuries at this point, his plate discipline is starting to slip as well. And he's getting up there in age. He's not old per se, but he's 29 years old. Patrick Corbin, I just don't think that I can have anything to do with him. The fastball velocity down, the swinging strike rate way down. Uh, He just led all qualified pitchers with a 1.57 whip. So Corbin, Bryant, Hira, three names for me early on here in the offseason, Mike, that I cannot just look the other way when it comes to 2020. I actually do have legitimate concerns.
1: Yeah, and the one that really sticks out to me, and it's because I started – I started like arguing with people on Twitter already about this one. Is like, Kisten, here, I'm really, I'm with you. I'm really concerned. You mentioned the second worst swing strike rate in baseball, the worst contact rate. So, a lot of it is, I think pitchers figured him out because in 2019, he kind of overperformed across the board on fastballs, breaking balls, and off speed pitches. So, you take that overperformance and you regress it to even the mean, but it looks like he obviously regressed even farther, but nothing indicates in the numbers that he's going to just bounce back. From that. And then he saw less fastballs as a whole, more breaking balls and off speed pitches. So it shows that pitchers obviously adapted, showing that because he was able to hit fastballs. And I believe, now correct me if I'm wrong, but he also saw a lot more pitches up in the zone. So that also included, like that added to his, his woes a bit. So all in all, of these three names, he's the one I'm most worried about because at least the other two have some of the concerns baked into their ADP. He does not really. Like, I'd rather kind of just sit back. I'll take Altuve right now over him. I'll probably take Catal Marte over him too. Cause I trust them with a little more track record. And here uh, the ceiling's higher, but are we sure the floor isn't uh, isn't O'Dor? 30, 12, and 220.
0: Damn. That was crazy. That just blew my mind. Cause I'm like, please, Kess and does not do not become Rudonette O'Dor. Like Please don't. But thirty percent
1: K rate too. It's Over thirty percent each of the last two years. It's
0: not crazy. It's not like
1: that's the that now that's his floor. Like that's his absolute like we saw that That was right. the, that was his floor this year. Right. But when you look at Rugner Rodor, it's a it's a 30 plus percent strikeout rate with 30 home runs and double digit steals counting stats are nice, but because he's going to get so many at bats in the middle of that lineup, that batting average is going to sink you and you're drafting him to where he needs to be more of a, at least a 3.5 category producer to kind of give you back some, you know, return on investment. Whereas if you're only getting three categories with a top 70 pick, and you mentioned here, like a six round, a six round pick, roughly, that's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you.
0: Yeah, and even if you play in a points league, the strikeouts are, like, you want play discipline in a points league, and his strikeouts are just massive. He averages 2.4 fantasy points per game this season, so, um, yeah, troublesome for sure when it comes to Hira. The early ADP is 70, which puts puts him in the sixth round. I still, I like the talent, but I might just take a year off in 2021 on Hira, and... Like an evaluation year and see kind of yeah. how he bounces back. And honestly, if he goes off, I won't be mad at myself for not having shares of Keston Hero. So you can read about those again more at CBSports.com. We do have some mailbag questions that I wanted to get to here. And these first couple of ones are from our Apple Podcast reviews. And this one is from Helton4, Rockies fan, Todd Helton, aka. Andrew, I snuck away with the championship this year in my 10-team head-to-head points league, and that gives me the first overall pick in 2021. Interesting. So you win the championship in your league, and you get the first pick. That's, that's that's a pretty nice prize. Pitchers are more valuable in our league, so I am torn between Jacob DeGrom and Shane Bieber. I had DeGrom this year, and he did fantastic work for me. Who should I take first
1: overall next year? What do you think, Mike. <laughs> Can I pass? I mean, um, it's uh, it's tough, man. Because I know Bieber, like it, he did the best in this format. But we talked about losing hand. That bullpen isn't looking great. The offense lost Hernandez and Santana. So until they until we see the moves they make, I don't try. I think he's going to come to ground. Where we're going to see the win totals go down. So I'm going to take my chance on probably Garrett Cole having the most win potential here with a similar ceiling for in terms of uh, points per game and innings per game. And and I'm torn I'm t- between Cole and DeGrom with Bieber falling third for me.
0: Yeah, so my early pitcher ranks, I have it DeGrom, Bieber, Cole. That's more so for Roto, but in a points yes. league, yeah, I might agree with you with Garrett Cole because you look at all three pitchers here, the last 45 starts. Garrett Cole has gone six-plus innings in 37 of his last 45, which is the most of these three pitchers. So he's going to give you depth. And, I mean, he really started to click down the stretch with Kyle Higashioka as his catcher, and it seems like that's the way that they're trending for next season, that he will at least have a personal catcher. Uh, and the win potential is still there with the Yankees. I would expect their uh, their bullpen to bounce back as well. So first overall, I don't know if Garcole's Cole's available. You didn't even list him, but uh, assuming he's not kept or something, I would go with Garrett Cole, and I think Mike Trout is... Still in the conversation, Yes. Uh, although it sounds like you want to take a pitcher here in a head-to-head points league, which, honestly, I can't really blame you. This next one's from Tomp 242 10 10-team head-to-head points. Keep forever, Dynasty League. I am trying to trade for Garrett Cole. Right now, my offer is Zach Veen, Max Meyer, Zach Wheeler, Tony Gonsolin, Tanner Houck, and my first and second round picks for next year's first-year player draft. I'm receiving Garrett Cole and Sam Huff, who is a catcher prospect with massive amounts of potential for the Texas Rangers. Um, quality pitching is extremely valuable in our league, so I am ready to give up more average guys for an extremely good pitcher. What do you think? What do you think, mm. Mike?
1: So I initially first thought was like, wow, that's a lot. But let's, let's think about a, a points league. 10 team at that. So 10 teams is already shallower points league you have no middle infield typically no corner infield only three outfielders is that really become a lot to give up because now this guy's going to have a lot of big roster crunch you're going to be able to replenish your minor leagues off the waiver wire probably with some solid some decent prospects that are maybe not on the radar in this type of format usually plus we don't know how many prospects they can keep as well i'm it's the picks that bother me if i can keep that first round pick and give up a second and just a second here or maybe I would like to try to keep the first round pick, but if this is like a final deal, take it or leave it, I'm willing to make the move, especially assuming that Cole is like a piece that's that's going to not only give you the chance to win again, it's format dependent, this format being this shallow and being points with pitching, being such a big, like such a needed, such a need and should be valuable. I'm willing to give up the steep price. Cause I just think there's going to be so much to replace off the waiver wire when it comes to those uh, prospects.
0: Yeah. And, that is a good point. My first instinct as well is that this is a bit steep. But I would, first of all, I would only make this trade if, if you're ready to compete. I think, yes. first and foremost, like making dynasty trades, you have to be realistic with yourself. And yeah, okay, if you're ready to go, then yes, you can trade away prospects and you can try and compete. But, you know, if you're in the middle of a rebuild, obviously this doesn't make sense with Garrett Cole, I believe, turning 31 years old next season. So you have to be in the thick of things. I hear, like, you you kind of talked me into a little bit here, Mike. Um, There's a lot to like with these players, but in a 10 team league, you probably can replenish rather quickly and you're you're crunching the roster. So I like it. I like it. If you're ready to compete, I would say take the trade. Try and talk them out of one of those picks there. This one's from Cannon Four. We're going the other way. From a 10 team league to a 20 team league, head to head categories, six by six with OBP and holds. Keep five of these players, Mackenzie Gore. Ian Anderson, Jesus Lazardo, Matt Chapman, Chris Bryant, Kevin Biggio, and Alec Bohm. Five of those guys, Mike.
1: Gore, Anderson, Lazardo, Bohm, and it's between Chapman and Biggio. I'm going to go with Biggio for the speed because that's the one thing he's lacking there.
0: Yeah, so this person's also already keeping Trevor Story, Trey
1: Turner, oh, yeah, Cody
0: Bellinger, Ozzy Albee. <laughs> they actually do have a lot of speed, uh, but the OBP definitely helps Kevin Biggio as well. Yeah. Has Aaron Nola, Zach Gallen, and Clevenger as some of his keepers already. Uh, yeah, I, I would go Lazardo, Ian Anderson, Biggio, I Boehm, and Gore. <laughs> yeah, we are on the same page. Chris Bryant, um, especially getting up there, you can't really sacrifice any of these young guys for Bryant. And Chapman... I got to see what happens in the offseason because this guy just had hip surgery and he has like four months of rehab coming up. So I, is Matt Chapman going to be the Matt Chapman of old? I don't know. I can't answer that right now in November 2020. So see what happens with Matt Chapman. Your emails, at fantasybaseballatcbsi.com. That's the letter I, not like E-Y-E. Some people have asked about that in the past. This one's from Dustin. Judging by the success the Rays had this year with their analytical-driven bullpen approach, I think it's fair to assume teams will look to mimic it. Therefore, I expect we will continue to see less and less true closers and saves will continue to be spread out amongst the bullpen. I'm in a long-standing 12-team keeper league with standard 5x5 scoring, and I think it's time we explore options to counting saves as a category. I think it's time we explore options to counting saves. Maybe a, a different option? Maybe I, yeah. I copy and paste it this wrong. Anyway, are there any stats that you recommend to potentially replace saves? What about a stat that measures the value of a specific out?
1: That's tough. I like saves plus holds personally. I mean, I think that kind of encompasses all relief pitching and it gives you a chance to get the best relief pitchers on your team, not just target a specific stat. So saves plus holds is a good one. And if you're looking just to get kind of fun with it, maybe look for like your high-end relievers, go K K, uh, K per nine or something fun like that maybe. But sales Plus Holds is usually my go-to because it gives you a chance to kind of just get the best relievers out of any, um, out of any, out of baseball, period.
0: Alrighty, That's it. Mike, Sleepy K, you made it through your inaugural edition of Fantasy Baseball today. How does it feel?
1: I mean, it's awesome. It's like I'm dreaming. <laughs> <laughs> Next
0: thing you know, this guy's like passed out in his chair. Sleeping. Hopefully well, we didn't put you to sleep. Hopefully we didn't put anyone to sleep out there. Again, Mike Curlin, give him a follow on Twitter at Mike underscore K-U-R-L-A-N-D. He is the host of the Bases Loaded podcast, contributor for Roto Baller. Uh, Mike, is there anything else that I missed that you would like to promote while you're here?
1: Um, I am working on a draft kit. Just thought I'd plug that real quick. Uh, SP Streamer draft kit, if you're not familiar. it's He's a good friend of mine. He's been doing good things on Twitter, and he probably draft kit last year. And this year, I'm, putting ahead, I'm going ahead and pretty much covering all the offensive side of things. So be on the lookout for that. But other than that, I'm kind of just hanging in there, moving. So I got a lot going on. But other than that, yeah, that's about it, man. Thank you for having me. I really honestly can't thank you enough. This is, like I said, as cliche as it is, it's like a dream come true. So thanks, man. Really appreciate it.
0: Nah, man, you did a fantastic job. Thank you for joining us. So appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, that's, that's basically it for Sleepy K. I am Frank Thank You all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again on Thursday. (music) Bye-bye.